Okay, so we're back, and then you're going to tell us this Marilyn Monroe. Okay. Um, so this is not one of my greatest moments, but it's probably one of the best examples of mania that I have in my life. And mania is something that we were particularly interested in because, as mentioned previously, um, addictive behaviors can occur during mania. Um, so... Although at the time, um, I wouldn't say that drinking was one of my addictive behaviors, I would say that shopping was. So um, I was, uh, again, I think I was about 24 or so, and I hadn't really settled into um, a groove with a psychiatrist. Um, I was seeing the one on campus every six weeks. I didn't, I didn't have the proper medication. I didn't have a therapist. I was just kind of white knuckling it. And um, but what I did know was that when I went shopping, I just kind of like felt better. Just something made me feel better. Right. And I was at the age where it's like, I didn't have any credit cards. So when I applied for a credit card, I just got one. So I got a credit card in the mail and, uh, I took the bus to the mall and it was right around Christmas time. And, um, they had lots of like the kiosks up with the nice prints and the frames and all that kind of stuff. And I had had a bit of a trigger earlier on that day, me and my boyfriend at the time had had a fight and broken up, I think. And he really liked Marilyn Monroe and he had like a, a small poster in his room of Marilyn Monroe. And I walked by a kiosk and they had these portraits of Marilyn Monroe. And in my mind, I think I was thinking something along the lines of, if I get a whole bunch of Marilyn Monroe posters, which he will love, everything will be okay. This is kind of what I'm thinking, right? He likes Marilyn right. Monroe. If I get Marilyn Monroe. I can fix will, this. He, yeah, I can fix this and he will like me. And um, I proceeded with my brand new credit card. Uh, to purchase about $2,000 worth of Marilyn Monroe artwork and prints. And uh, it took me four trips back and forth on the bus, back and forth from my apartment to the mall to lug all of this artwork that I bought of Marilyn Monroe. And, and that whole time you were like in this heightened awareness. Right? I'm just like, this is so great. This is, you know, I, I, I'm so clever uh, that I thought of this. He's going to be so happy. It has nothing to do with my inner self-care, self-work. It's something that's completely external to me. Or even that, reality, really. Yeah, it's not even based in reality, right? Like, okay, so I'm going to plaster my wall with expensive Marilyn Monroe prints. Therefore, and our relationship and like is fixed. Right. Yeah, and you're going to like me. And um, that's not exactly how it happened, but yeah. So I had all these like Marilyn Monroe posters, and it literally like, four plastered. trips on the city bus. On the city bus, and at no point during any of these trips did the thought cross my mind: maybe you went a little overboard. That never crossed my mind, right? That that just goes to show, like when you're in this state of mania. I, I've mentioned that you have this lack of consequence, right? You have this lack of understanding um, of like the future, right? All that matters is right then and right there. You just think that you're, you're the greatest. And like, 
naturally I'm thinking, oh, I got a credit card and like, it's, it's not real money. This right? is a good time to list like some of those um, that you may have been in the middle of having a higher than normal energy mm-hmm. levels, being rel- restless or unable to sit still, having a mm-hmm. de- decreased need for sleep, yeah. um, having increased self-esteem or confidence or grandiosity. Yeah. Yep. Being extremely talkative, racing mind, lots of thoughts, easily. To, I mean, you're in the middle of all of that. Yeah. So that right, right what you just listed there is like the checklist of mania. Right. And in that one scenario, every single one of those things were met. The guy that sold me the art, like I remember him being hesitant. Like, are you sure? Like, like I think he thought I was nuts. And I was like, no, 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 I'm sure. And what ended up happening with this Marilyn Monroe thing, I'm just going to wrap it up here. But um, I kind of told him, we ended up getting back together. I was like, yeah, I got you a really nice Marilyn Monroe print for, um, for Christmas. And he's like, yeah, I'm not one of those crazy people that just plasters my wall with like Marilyn Monroe. Oh, and I was like, and you want to know what that did? I think I talked to you about that. That put a little pinprick in the balloon, the helium balloon that I was in. And I just fizzled right down into like with, within a day. It deflated into, you. It deflated me completely right down into like the depths of a depression. Couldn't get out of bed um, for like weeks kind weeks. of thing. Yeah. And it just took me right out because again, with bipolar disorder, there is a, you have difficulty regulating these moods and how you move in between them. It is totally natural for you to get excited about something. And when it doesn't go your way, you kind of experience a dip. That is totally natural, right? But, but in, when a you normal, have it, in a normal cycle, they're, they're not like they're not way and up down and way down. They're right? just they it's, cycle. It's a smaller, if you picture like a sound wave, right? Like it's just, it's, it's smaller. Right. But when you picture someone that um, has bipolar disorder, especially when it's not fully managed or treated properly, the highs are way up and the lows are way down. And so then I had to take, take down all the Marilyn Monroe art. And I think I hit it all. Um, but to this day, I, I kept one. I have one of these pictures, but you want to know what that one picture that reminds me of that experience. And on some of the worst days that I've had, if I see that picture, I am reminded why I take my medication, why I do what I do to stay healthy, how I had to dig myself out of financial ruin multiple times. Right. And so for me, because this isn't the first time you've gone mania and, and broke out the credit card. No, it's, it's my, it's my go-to. It's your go-to. Eventually drinking kind of made its way in there as well. Um, but yeah, I, I keep that picture as a, as a reminder of what, what can happen. And I honestly love this print for that. It is like a physical reminder of, of that. So here you're doing all these things. You're going to, uh, you see a psychologist, you're going to group therapies, uh, group meetings, therapy, yoga, awareness, and you still have to strategize 
your life right now because you can end up well this is whole this all has been a learning process over 15 years yeah it's um i mean obviously the first couple of years were I'm going to use the phrase white knuckling it. Um, I didn't really know what to expect, really. I, I knew I had this diagnosis, but I didn't exactly understand how I was going to cycle through it, what it would look like. It, it takes time to build up awareness. Um, uh, just like, you know, when you stop drinking, it takes time to really connect with those certain things that are going to trigger you. You don't just know as soon as you stop, um, you know, but you build up a knowledge of yourself. But you have and, to stop the alcohol mm -hmm. before you build any awarenesses, period. It, it will help. It will help. I, a lot of the awareness that I established um, was, uh, you know, before I got sober um, and I was still working on myself, even when I was drinking. Right. So, yeah. um, but when you remove the alcohol or any addictive substance from the equation or addictive behavior from the equation, you are left with a much truer version of what is underneath. And I think that if you want to maximize your effectiveness um, in whether it be a treatment or, you know, like I, we've been talking about awareness a lot or self care and self love and all that kind of stuff there is a layer that almost has to be, you have to be willing to be exposed and be vulnerable with it. And what does, what, what do we do with alcohol? I used it to escape, right? So in a way, I kind of hit a wall a little bit when I was, when I was drinking, like I, I'd done a lot of work and I had a lot of awareness and I had a lot of strategies and I knew myself really well. Um, but at some point when I was drinking quite a bit, I don't think the effectiveness of the things that I was doing was quite as good, right? Because I was actively choosing to drink to escape. And that's exactly my pledge every morning. Well, fortunately you know? for you, you were, you were diagnosed. So mm -hmm. you knew that there was an underlying yeah, now, but if you don't a lot know. of us, like I'm 58 years old mm -hmm. and even my nine years of being sober, I never even realized about a mental illness. Mm -hmm. To me, mental illness was uh, fictitious mm -hmm. <laughs> or it was alt. I didn't believe in it. And mm -hmm. even with my mom, who's highly educated and she's got a master's somewhere with um, psychology I wouldn't even listen to her. And I would mm -hmm. tell her, don't start your psycho babble bullshit with me because I don't believe in it. Until I removed the alcohol, mm -hmm. CC, I never even knew it. And then it's just the last few months that I've realized uh, that I did have a mental yeah. illness. But until I removed the alcohol, that they are so, they parallel, like you said, they're married. Yeah. And yeah. they parallel each other so strong if, if somebody hasn't been diagnosed with, um, like you were mm -hmm. probably trying to figure out that you have a mental illness on top yeah. of your addiction is almost impossible. Trying to, to weed it out. Right. And especially if you're not working with someone with this, it would be very hard to kind of figure out, you know, what, what is, what is the addiction doing? What, what is the mental health doing? And the difficulty, like you're saying, I just want to address what you were saying about, um, 
you know, this concept of mental health and having trouble, um, you know, like you said, believing it, if you will, mental health is invisible. Addiction, a lot of the time, is invisible, right? And so if you cannot see something, it is very difficult to understand that it still exists, right? And that's that's a really huge concept. And I have, a, a in my life too, a lot of, when I kind of came out as having um, difficulties with my relationship with alcohol, people didn't believe me. Why? Because, you know, I, I smiled, I laughed, you know, and, and same with when it. I, yeah. And same with like bipolar disorder, you know, it's like, did you ever think that I've like mastered the art of masking everything? Like, you know, this is obviously my first coping mechanism was look normal. <laughs> right. right. So I've been perfecting this, you know, for a very long time. And I think I mentioned in the, when I was talking to Karina last time, um, that, uh, I actually started to believe that alcohol was helping me maintain right. this composure. It like, it was the weirdest thing. I was just like, if I don't drink, then I can't be composed. I, I don't even know. And you're on this medication. Happened. That's telling me don't drink. Don't drink. It well, it enhances the effects of alcohol. So it's like one drink is like three. So if I'm having eight drinks, that's like twenty-four, something, something like that, right? So every single medication that I take, and you know, um, not going to go into specifics about how many or whatever, but the majority of the medications that are prescribed to maintain um, your mental health, many of them will have a nice sticker on them that tells you or advises you not to drink or tells you that uh, the effects of alcohol will be enhanced and may cause drowsiness. And I actually built up like a tolerance to this right? Like it used to knock, like when I, when I was still drinking on my medication on the early days, it would just like, no, I'd have like three or four drinks and I was just like done. But the night that, you know, the last time I drank, I had probably the equivalent of like, I don't know, 13 or 14 drinks. Right. But um, yeah, it's, it's not healthy. And depending on what medication you're on, these medications are metabolized through the liver and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's, you know, I was, I was taking my medication with the wine, you know, screw water, you know, right. Right. I mean, they'll still go down with the wine. Right. But yeah. So here you are, you're off the alcohol and mm -hmm. you still have all these things that you're doing and you still have to strategize mm -hmm. for your life to keep yourself from going into these episodes. Or yeah. if you do go into these episodes, that you have a way out have a plan you have a plan and your your partner helps you too right yeah um you know i've uh developed a lot of insight into my own behavior over the years and you know i mentioned how uh, when my mood starts to elevate into hypomania and sometimes into full-blown mania um i default towards the shopping and uh, just recently, like about a month ago, um, I blew my budget by over a thousand dollars. Amazon's ringing my doorbell six times a day. And 
in a moment of clarity, I realized what was happening, that I was using this shopping. And this, this was the first time I had experienced a hypomania since I stopped drinking. Right. Okay. So I wasn't drinking. So that, that's something that I didn't mention to you before was that the first time that I experienced an elevated mood um, since I stopped drinking. Amazingly enough, I didn't go right for the alcohol, which I am like slightly surprised, but grateful for. Um, but the shopping like amped up. And I eventually, in a moment, moment of clarity, said to my partner, I, I confessed it. And I was like, I'm getting to the point where I'm thinking about lying to you. I'm getting to the point where I'm thinking about shipping this stuff to my parents' address. You know, I'm, I'm getting to that point where I'm strategizing how to be destructive, right? So in that moment of clarity and awareness, I just said, this is what's happening. And you were able to shut yeah, it down. I was like, you got to make sure I don't dig into my RSPs, you know, make sure that I don't dig into my daughter's savings. And so we actually, we did many different things. Um, we disabled like my PayPal account. Um, we review my finances together, uh, not on a daily basis, but pretty regularly. You know, I, we have a joint credit card. So I, it, it sometimes in ways it feels like I'm being micromanaged. But I know that this is for my my own well-being because I'm preventing myself from elevating up, 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 up and becoming even more out of control, out of control, destructive, destructive, and then crash. I'm actually like capping this. Right. Because this could go on and on. Yeah. Like um, stuff to your parents' homes. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's. Man, this mirrors alcohol so much, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it absolutely does. And so it's getting to the point now where I'm thinking about sacrificing trust, right? Yeah, right. okay. I'm 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 shipping leggings from American Eagle to my parents. Doesn't seem like a big thing, but you want to know what? That means that I've lied to my partner. Right. Right. And so the other thing about this is that yeah, we we've argued about this. I get defensive about this when he confronts me about buying $40 worth of floss. Long story. But um, at the same time, part of that story, have $40. Yeah, oh, there's, there's a story. Um, but yeah, that's part of it, though, is that hypomania and mania is not a sustainable mood. So although we might be arguing about this right now, and I might be pissed off at him because I feel like he's being controlling of me, even though I told him to be. Because um, you guys have discussed this. We've discussed this, but I'm not going to stay in this state forever. You know, I might be hypo and hypomania. I might be in mania, but I can't stay there forever. Eventually, I'm going to come back down. Hopefully, the hope is that I will pass through a period of stability, um, which is always the hope. If you If you come down and stay on that, you know, that flat line for a bit, um, that's the best you can hope for. And it, well, let's it just look at this situation right here, <laughs> because you prevented uh, with that moment of clarity of this escalating mm -hmm. in, into the, uh, the mistrust, mm -hmm. sending the stuff over to your parents in, into what it would have snowballed into. 
you didn't reach your highest high mm -hmm. and that which in, in other words you didn't have to go as low as yeah your low when it all unfolded yeah. i did something very similar um when my partner went away for a couple days um there we do keep a small amount of alcohol in the house he's one of those super moderators i don't know how he does it but um Although I hadn't been tempted or even really aware of the alcohol that was in the house, when he left, I was like, take it all with you, right? You know, he's like, he's like, you're not going to drink the, this or, you know, whatever it is, some obscure like creme de menthe. You're not going to drink a bottle of creme de menthe. I'm like, oh, it's like mouthwash. I might, <laughs> you know? Oh, so, but I was, although I've been living with it and it hasn't been bothering me. I was like, no, just take it all. Right. And, and he did. And that was again, an example of how I had like this awareness that, you know, I'm going to be alone for the first time in many, many months. I know that loneliness, feeling lonely is a trigger for drinking. And how do I know this? Because I've been connected with a lot of people who are um, addressing learning how to live a sober lifestyle. And I have seen people who have struggled with being alone. And even though I haven't personally struggled with that, I'm going to take the same steps that they took to help myself. And so it's a, it's a proactive. Well, and it's approach. the same. You're being proactive with your mental illness, mm -hmm. doing all these things. And you have to do, it's like, you have to do it twice. You have to do it for your mental illness and you have to do it for your recovery. Well, like you said, um, there are, they are separate, right? But I do find that when I work on my mental health, my addiction recovery does get benefit. It and does. when I work on my sobriety, my mental health gets some benefit, right? They, they're a reciprocal relationship. So doing work on one, it's not like completely apart from the other, but yeah, in some ways I am working on them separately, but they do reinforce each other. I would say that part of the reason why I have, I feel like I've been successful with my sobriety so far um, is because I amped up the, the mental health component. You know, I went to like weekly therapy appointments instead of um, once a month or twice a month. You know, I started doing more journaling. I started, you know, do doing the things that enhance my feeling of um, like well being in a general sense, more exercise, all that kind of stuff. Obviously, my sobriety is my number one priority. And when that stays intact for me, I find that everything else kind of naturally kind of slots into place. It doesn't just line up, but right. it just kind of comes You're together. You're more back on the normal sound wave than yeah. a normal person or however a yeah. uh, person that doesn't have to deal with this would be. Yeah, I, I feel right now that I'm, um, I'm, I'm on a, a level I've reached, I've I'm, a, I'm at a point of stability right now, and there is nothing more rewarding than being 
at a stable place because like I said, I do know that the stability isn't going to last forever and I'm totally fine with that. And this isn't a negative outlook for me, but I know, I know, sorry, that I will probably go up at some point and I will probably go down at some point. And so this concept of one day at a time that we talk about with being sober, it's the exact same with mental health, whether you're depressed and you have a day when you realize that, you know what, I, I think I'm coming out of it, right? When you start to have, or with any illness, maybe you've had the flu for like a week. It doesn't matter when you have that feeling that you're feeling better and that you're fe feeling whatever your normal might be, cherish it, yes. be grateful for it, savor it. And then let's talk about this with the mental illness. If all of a sudden you get to the place where you think, you know what, I'm, I'm in a good place and I don't need the therapy. I don't need the mm -hmm. psychologist. I don't need the groups. I think I could do this on my own. Mm -hmm. You're kind of setting yourself up, aren't you? With bipolar disorder, particularly, there is a very... I don't want to say high rate, but there is a high risk of discontinuing your treatment when you enter into a hypomania or mania, uh, mania state. And this is because, as we've been talking about, hypomania in particularly feels very good. It feels very productive. Mania, you just don't really know the difference. You just feel great, right? So during those particular times, you are that you're at risk there for saying, you know what, I feel fine. Why am I taking this medication? I don't feel sick. I'm putting quotation marks around sick. Um, you know, I can manage this. I've got this right. You let your guard down. Right. And have you, I did have it. you done. Yeah, that's yeah, I did it. Um, I actually decided about a, I thought that I was going to be in my medication. I said I, I only need it for a year. Like I pre decided that I only needed it for a year. And so then what I started doing, because I didn't have a psychiatrist at the new place I was living, I started weaning off my medication 25 milligrams at a time. And I'm saying to myself, well, it's only 25 milligrams. Let me tell you something about psychiatric medication. There is something that we call the therapeutic dose. Okay. And this is a dosage of medication that allows your symptoms to be maintained and managed properly. If you take less, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, you're only a little bit less managed, right? If you're not at a therapeutic dose, it's almost, I'm going to say almost just as bad as taking nothing at all. Right. And so I started weaning down 25 milligrams at a time. You know, I'm not going to do that. Oh, I'm just going to stop and you know struggle with that so over a period of two months I leaned myself down to a very very low dose that was nowhere near my therapeutic dose like hundreds of milligrams off and what happens all of the symptoms come rushing back in just like they did at the beginning and so that's the that's the hardest part because did you I find yourself those... in a really bad situation after you decided to do that um 
it wasn't as bad as maybe like some of the other situations. Uh, <laughs> I moved my wedding up six months because I became a super wedding planner. <laughs> Never move your wedding up six months. I, <laughs> yeah, anyway, um, I woke up one day and decided I was gonna buy a house. And uh, my fiance at the time really didn't have a choice in this because I was like, we're getting a house today. We couldn't afford a house. I don't know how they gave us a mortgage, right? And we were house poor for like five or six years because I insisted that we had to buy a house. <laughs> and, you know, he didn't know anything about my illness any more than I did, right? And, um, but then I started having the increased anxiety. I started, you know, going up and down. And then I eventually did get in contact with a psychi uh, psychiatrist to, of course, put my meds right back up. But when I do pass through periods of stability, and this obviously can be very related to sobriety, I do get that. It's like that little trickster that we talk about. Yeah. I, it happens with your mental health too, where you're like, I'm having a good day. I don't need to be, I don't need to go to my group appointment today. I don't need to go to my therapist today. I can cancel this. I don't this. need to get on IAS today. Yeah, I don't need to do my daily pledge. You know, I'm, I've actually nicknamed my little trickster because I didn't have a name for her. Um, she's a devil with a blue dress on. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but it's the same sort of concept that um, I've heard. I, I know you've talked about it and other people have talked about it that kind of voice. Um, the voice is my number one. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, I can, I, I can moderate. I right. can have just one, you know, that can happen with your mental health too. You're okay. You're okay. Now you went through a rough period. You're that won't happen again. Yeah. You're fixed. You yeah. know, you know, everything, you know, all your awarenesses. Yep. Yep. You can prevent this. So yep. you've had to come to terms in your life that this is a lifelong mm -hmm. journey with your mental illness. I live alongside it. And it you've is, had, it is now not me. It is, it, it, I live with it. It's like now, a roommate. <laughs> and now you've had to do this with addiction. That, mm -hmm. And with addiction, I think in pathways, and I don't know really how to even think about pathways with mental illness, but addiction, I think it is in pathways, it's built. It's like I was telling my son, you learned how to type. You can't unlearn how to mm -hmm. type. With yeah. addiction, you learned how to be, um, you got, it's two things. You got the chemicals plus the behaviors. You mm -hmm. can't unlearn it. It's there. Yeah. Um, but, so you've had to make this, these choices that are, have you found a spot where you're comfortable in your life where you're okay with, this is what I got to do for the rest of my life type scenario for the most part I think I you make your peace at several points I think the biggest time that I made my peace I was around like 26 ish years old that was when I had my biggest the biggest piece of the peace puzzle <laughs> sorry for all the alliteration there um, the majority of the piece happened around that time but every time I go through some type of mood cycle or change in my mental health. I have to remind myself of this. And um, I find- So it's not just once that you have to like accept this. Yeah, I just, 
it, it's I have an to over re-accept it. I guess not the whole thing. I'm re-accepting a new portion of it, right? I'm allowing more acceptance um, in. And that's kind of how I viewed um, choosing sobriety as well, is that I kind of had my inner peace and understanding of what I was living with the rest of my life. And I kind of welcomed sobriety into that. I kind of said, you know what? I absolutely know that I have a major issue with moderation. I accept this. And, and then I think the other thing is I drink alcohol to escape. I want to know myself and I can't do that if I am drinking. So I accepted that part of it. So if I already know that I'm going to be living the rest of my life with bipolar disorder, that's cool. Like I, I already have that, but I can accept new things into that and what it looks like changes over time. But I just try to really, really try to keep my mentality of, I am not my illness. I am not my drinking. I am not my mania. I am not my depression, right? I am a person first and yes. I am living with or I, you know, that is how I describe myself. It is very important, the language that you use. You internalize what you say. If I say, you know, I'm bipolar. No, I am not bipolar. I am a person living with, right? With bipolar, oh, that's yeah. huge. And same, same with like, um, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I don't say that. I say, I am a person who has consciously identified that I have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And I say that to myself very specifically, right? And I am a person who cannot moderate with alcohol, right? And so I choose my language very carefully because what you say, I think I talked about this in my last one, goes into your head and it will swirl around. And if you have anxiety or anything like that, that thought might get distorted. And then all of a sudden you really start internalizing these things and it can bring about some weird feelings, like, you know, kind of like hopelessness and scared and all that kind of stuff. So I really try to view myself as me and all of these things, like I said, they're just kind of roommates. Yeah. It's just crazy how all of this is, um, um, it seems so related and where you can get to the point where every do, using doing the one day at a time, mm -hmm. I think really matters like in this situation, because it's easier that way, because then it's not so overwhelming. It's kind of funny. Like when I started, I found the one day at a time saying I avoided using it initially when I was um, engaging with uh, people. Um, when I was working on my, uh, my sober journey in the early days, I was kind of like, oh, this is so typical, right? Like I, I kind of like rolled my eyes at it. Right. right. Um, but at the same time, eventually as one day at a time became another day at a time, became another day at a time. I think it was maybe about two months in or so. I was like, damn, it really is one day at a time. And do you want to know what? I say that now because I believe it because I've experienced it and I understand what it means. And it's funny. I'm a yoga teacher. We're all about living in the present moment, but 
that one day at a time, you know, <laughs> phrase that I knew was associated with, you know, you know, uh, I think it might be associated with AA or like I'd heard it associated with alcoholics. I was, I was rejecting it initially, but then Me too, and sudden, I'm just finding where I'm seeing how important it is Yeah, where you get to wake up every day and make a new, dis- new choice because it's a new day. Yeah. And you're going to make a new choice. The next, the next right choice. And it wasn't until I actually experienced it in relation to my drinking that I accepted it. I had accepted be present in a yogic sense, but the one day at a time, that one, that one took quite a few days to understand it and to live it and to really understand, like to connect with it. And I'm glad that I didn't force it upon myself. I'm glad it wasn't forced upon me, um, but I kind of accepted it into my inner peace on my own time. And so I apply this to both my mental health now and to my commitment to not drinking alcohol. If you got time, I'd like to like come back real quick, kind of explain what I went through. So somebody has another example. Yeah, because my default is a little bit different than your default. And then you can kind of help me explain what was going on with mine. And then that'll give us one more example. So we'll, we'll come right back. And then we'll do that.